Hi, friends, and thank you so much for joining me in our continuing discussion of Reformation and Restoration, the difference between tweaking it back to where I'm comfortable and restoring it back to where God's comfortable. Uh, as you know, as we're entering the final stages of this semester, uh, we've changed our attention towards solutions. Opening segments, we spent a lot of time dealing with Calvinism and the corruption thereof, and and uh, we're, we're now turning our attention to some things that you and I can do to avoid the carnalistic uh, conclusions of Calvin, as, as well as things that you and I can do to expose and to hopefully draw some of our family members out of those false doctrines before it's eternally too late for them. Here you see where we're what we're dealing with, yeah, heaven's hermeneutics. Uh, don't get thrown off by that word. Hermeneutics is just simply a, a term that has been penned by scholars and smart guys to uh, suggest these are the principles we use in order to interpret scripture. I'd like to suggest to you that the real hermeneutics come from not from men, that God himself will express himself, and that God himself will explain himself. And that's our second tier, if you will, of the hermeneutical process that we see Jesus actually pointing to in Scripture. Secondly, God explains himself. He doesn't just tell us. He explains it. This is probably my favorite lesson with regards to this topic, because Calvinism stole our understanding of <coughs> the ability to study for ourselves. <coughs> and they stole that largely because they are the spawn of Catholicism. The opening days of Catholicism, which is basically really just the organized version of apostasy, but the opening days of, of Catholicism was all about doing what they could to rewrite Scripture in their own image, to, to do what they can to make sure they take over the authority of God. Well, there were some conscientious people who bowed up to that kind of thing. Many of them were burned at the stake and killed in horrible fashions. You need to study the history of Catholicism. It's just horrible. But uh, those individuals who eventually turned the tide to, we need to do something different. Some of those individuals ended up being people like Martin Luther who didn't go nearly far enough. Don't get me wrong. He didn't go nearly far enough, but at least he had a conscience that said, there's 95 things here I am. I just don't agree with the Catholic Church on. Now, again, those 95 things were based upon what he didn't agree on. It wasn't restoration. It was reformation. But you got to appreciate the fact that at least somebody's got the light bulb coming on in their mind, and they're trying to you know, do something different, if you will. <clears throat> but Catholicism was big, is big into suggesting that you just can't understand Scripture on your own. That's why you've got to have all of the garbage surrounding you. Uh, when I say garbage, I'm talking about the magisterium, and I'm talking about church history, most of which is littered, garbage, littered by false teaching. Instead of solely trusting in what God has said, they always feel like they've got to add something else in. And again, as I said, Catholic. Catholicism is going to give us rest of the Reformation movement. The Reformation movement is going to, is going to give us Calvinism. And uh, Calvinism basically is, is just a subtle version of Catholicism. It's just doing what it can to, again, steal the authority of God. But what I really want to share with you tonight, and it's exciting stuff, is that there is a process in place by God, and I'm only going to touch the hem of the garment on this, but there's a process in place by God that will allow you, without a Bible degree, 
without bowing before some priest or pompous pope, you can know the will of God. You can study the Bible on your own. You can be safeguarded in your conclusions by God himself. Because, there it is, God explains himself. This is fun stuff. Watch this. I always try to give you five questions, and here they are. We're going to try to travel through those. And so go ahead and screenshot that, and then you've got to take notes as we go. <coughs> and then when the test comes at the end of the week, you can fill in the blanks if you're part of the Restoration School of Biblical Studies. You got it? All right, here we go. I always have been, or I've been trying to start off with this little screen with regards to restoring New Testament Christianity. I noticed that this thing here, I, I hadn't in the past had, it didn't have a background. And I, I noticed it was kind of hard to read. And so I decided to, I gave it a background, a white background, so you could see it more easily. Because I really want to draw your attention to those yellow errors, errors, yellow arrows that are coming off of the errors of human wisdom how they're trying to return, they're trying to restore that last little area of yellow there <coughs> on the left-hand side. Restoration is a divine principle which it predates even the church, if you think about that. From the beginning of time, God has been calling us back, asking us to restore uh, our appreciation of his authority. Matthew 28, some of the last words of Jesus before leaving us, teach them to observe everything I commanded you, not the Pope, not the priest, not the preacher, and then Jeremiah 6, 16, a lot many years prior to that, said we need to make sure we keep our eye on the ancient paths. Well, now, 2,000 plus years after the church began, the, those words of Jesus in Matthew 28, Acts 2, etc., they're, they're ancient. And we are now called to restore. We're called to go back and make sure that we are going to the Lord's church, not trying to reform, tweak some man-made concoction so that we can be comfortable with it. As I said, this is one of the th lessons I love the most. And, and the reason is because it's just so, um, how shall I say it? It's so freeing. It gives you the ability to study on your own, to have confidence in your own interaction with God and the Spirit and His words. Notice there in the white, uh, they... Repetitive nature of God's presentation allows God or the Bible to interpret God or the Bible. So in other words, God doesn't just present it. He presents it repetitively. And we're going to see this evening at least three ways that he does this in a repetitive manner that just, it, make it, it makes it hard to mistake. Now I'm not saying there aren't complicated things in Scripture. And I'm not saying that there aren't things that you and I will not know this side of eternity. Maybe God will never reveal them to them. But I am saying this. That which is essential to get you into the presence of God is not just presented. It's presented clearly and it's presented repetitively so that you don't miss it. God has been very good about that because he recognizes that you and I just don't seem to pay attention. It's a lot like the, the book of the book of Judges, you know, how they go through that 40-year cycle, it seems, you know, and then they, they're faithful to God, then they get spoiled, then they get carried off into captivity, they cry out to God, God restores them, they're faithful to God, then they get spoiled, they're carried off captivity, you know, that, that cycle. Well, it's like God is saying, come on, guys, is it ever going to kick in? Are you ever going to remember are you ever going to actually appreciate the repetitive value of my love? Continue reading in that white square, please. God's will can be understood through a harmonic combination of all the inspired texts. That's a very 
I spent a lot of time putting that sentence together because I wanted to make sure I was saying exactly the values that I see in the hermeneutics of heaven. Harmonic. You know what harmony is. My wife and my son, they, they love to sing together, and men are so good. And every once in a while, they let me sing bass. I, I kind of ruin the moment. But when they sing, it just it, it blends. It just comes together. It's like, ah, it's like heavenly, you know? Well, God does the same thing. He doesn't just say something 2,000 years ago and let it sit. No. He's going to allow those things to resonate. They're going to harmonize with other things that were said 4,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago, whatever it may be. Harmonic combination. This is one of my biggest gripes with regards to Calvinism, is they're, they're, they're very astute at the, the game of cherry-picking. They'll take one passage, make an entire doctrine out of it, completely ignoring the actual consistency of Scripture, the harmony of Scripture. Because there's a lot of passages, if you allow them to stand on their own, they do seem like they say something completely contradictory to other passages. <clears throat> but God is not inconsistent. He doesn't contradict himself. And so if you're a real true Bible student, you will understand that you can't just grab one passage and pull it out. You take that one passage, you compare it to another passage, another passage, another passage, another passage, and you allow all of that to harmonize and come together, then you can draw the conclusions that you need to. I'll give you the example there at the bottom of our little white screen. The life of Christ. Uh, you got the four Gospels, and uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Obviously, we've got information in other places as well, but all four of those are basically designed to tell us about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. But it's interesting as you read the, the details of Matthew, and he is a very analytical kind of a, of a, of a, of a person when he, when he wrote down the story of Jesus, and you contrast it with Mark. Mark's kind of brief. He's got a lot of brevity, you know, that kind of a thing, although there's a lot of power in Mark. A lot of folks believe that Mark is actually Peter's gospel. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke was a doctor, and so you can, again, you can see some details in his that's different from Matthew or Mark. And then John, who calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, arguably the best friend of Jesus, lives the longest, it seems, before he's taken out of this world. John presents a very unique, very love-filled perspective of who Jesus is. Now, you take all four of those, though, and you combine them, and you allow them to harmonize and you really have a powerful, powerful uh, testimony of who God is. I believe it was McGarvey who wrote the fourfold gospel, I think is what it's called. But it's basically the harmony of the gospel. He's and he takes all four of the gospels and he writes them as if they were, they, he gives the information as if it's a flowing text from all four perspectives. Really a powerful book. One of the first books I got when I was uh, a young man and pursuing a, a degree in Bible, etc. Good, good, good stuff. But largely it's good because it's Bible, and it's Bible being blended together. But when you, when you see this happening, you begin to see how that God explains himself. Do you not? So you read Luke and you get a very, if you will, doctor side of things. You read Matthew and you get, you get a real analytical side of things. You read Mark, and it's kind of brief, and it's you know kind of almost... I don't know what you'd call bumper sticker style as you would you go through the life of Christ, hitting the highlights. And then you read the book of John and you get this overwhelming, wow, he loves me that much. And you take all four of those and you begin to see how God is not just blending his message. He's explaining his message as he blends it with all the various details. Years ago, my dad, uh, he, he taught me to uh, this, pro this uh, he, he taught me about this wonderful way that God interprets himself. And he used an illustration 
and it had to do with uh, the guy in the garden who has his ear cut off by Peter. Remember that? It's interesting that you don't really get all the details about that guy unless you read all four Gospels. It's only by reading all four Gospels that you eventually get his name. Uh, he's a servant of the high priest. That it's Peter who does the cutting. And I don't remember. There's other details that are involved there. But you have to read all four Gospels to get all the information about that guy. Well, the same thing is true about all the topics that are really important to your eternity. Just take the entirety of Scripture and then add it all together. Separate out that which doesn't really address your topic that you're looking for. It doesn't really speak to that. It's good stuff, but it doesn't really speak to my topic. Push that over here. Rightly divide the Word of God. And you push that over here, and, and eventually you're going to have this little pile of Scripture that really does address your topic. Then what do you do? Well, you take that and you filter it through what Calvin said. No. You take that and you filter it through what the Pope said. No. You take that and you digest it all yourself. Don't filter it through nothing. Take straight God and let him speak to you. And it's amazing the applications that can be had. Now, <coughs> as I told you, I love this lesson. So there's three things I want to I use by way of illustrating how God does this. The first is the weaving process. You see it right up here? You remember back in the day when we were kids and uh, we had those little forms, little plastic forms, and we'd, and we'd make mom a, uh, a pot holder or something, you know? And this is one of those right up there. And remember how we had to weave it in and out, get it all, you know, they're like rubber bands or something, you know, string this way and then you string that way. You remember that? But they all, but by the time you pulled that thing off, it was pretty solid, wasn't it? And yet you could see, as you can see on this, illustration you can see maybe the white band that's in and out in and out in and out well the first way <coughs> that god preserves protects and interprets himself is that he doesn't just say it once he weaves it in and out of the entire biblical uh, the entire biblical account let's use marriage as our example this evening You'll notice that I've listed here several passages. I started Genesis, and then there's that red arrow that takes you all the way to the book of Revelation. Those of you who know not much about the Bible, the book of Genesis is the first book. The book of Revelation is his last book. And by the way, verse 17 of 22 in the book of Revelation, that's four verses away from the end of the book. Okay, My point is that God has woven the importance of marriage all the way from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 to Revelation 22 and 17. You can see it in Matthew chapter 1. You can see it in Hebrews 13 that's listed there. You can see it in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. You can see it in 1 Corinthians 7 and 2. Each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The importance of marriage has been woven in and out, in and out, in and out of the biblical text from the beginning. And obviously that's just, you know, those are just a few. Uh, take the, the, the beautiful account you know, the book, the Song of Solomon, you know, and on and on you go. It's just like marriage has been one of those topics that God has preserved from the beginning because it evidently is essential. Family, home, essential. It's foundational. That's why home church is so big. So very, very important is because it is rooted in the expressions of what we're talking about right here. It's rooted within the expressions of marriage. That's why... When you look at Titus 2 and 5, and it tells us that 
older women should teach younger women how to be homemakers, among other things. So many of the modern women of today, they want to dismiss that as if, well, you know, that's just, he was just talking to the first century folks. That doesn't really apply to us. Sure it does. Because in that passage, he's actually taking a value that began all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 and is outlined in Genesis chapter 3. Woven in and out, in and out, in and out. You see, my point is that if you're struggling with understanding Scripture, don't turn to the Pope, the priest, the preacher, the pastor. Turn to the book and watch it weave a message for you. Read it from cover to cover, as a little boy said from, from Genesis to Maps. Just read the whole thing. And then as you do, take notes and watch as God emphasizes this particular topic. One of the most important books I think that you can have in your library is called a concordance, exhaustive concordance. That means all the passages uh, are listed there. You can list, uh, for instance, you take depending, depending on our translation, if you're going to go with the King James, let's say. <coughs> let's say you want to look up the word thou from the King James. Every time the word thou, T-H-O-U, is mentioned in the King James, it's given a number in an exhaustive concordance. And they're all grouped together. That number is going to correspond to a definition at the back of the book that will help you understand. But you're going to have every place the word thou is mentioned. But let's say you want to study the word marriage. Same book. Go to book and every place, go to the book of the concordance. And every time the word marriage is mentioned in the Bible, it will show you. Take all of those passages, write them down, and study them. Read them, read them, read them, read them, read them. And at the end of the day, once you have read them all, take the harmony of all, and say to yourself, what does that tell me about me and my marriage and what I need to do? Because God has woven his message in and out, in and out, in and out, throughout the entire biblical text. But it's not just a divine weaving, it's also a divine dance. This picture is so beautiful to me, I love that. I can almost see my wife and I doing that. Neither Cindy and I know how to dance, but uh, I'll tell you, there's no two people ever been created who haven't danced more throughout life, emotionally, physically speaking, uh, uh, as far as our values are concerned. I love my wife like I love nobody else. The divine dance. It's the round and round. It's the two different people, but they are acting as one. You, you've seen it happen. Professional dancers and how these two individuals, <coughs> they'll come together and they hold each other. and They're like one person, although it's clearly that they're two people. Well, that's the second way that God goes about explaining himself. Isaiah 62 and 5, again, we're dealing with marriage. As a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, all that's been physical. All that's been talking about physical marriage. But notice what he says at the end. So shall your God rejoice over you. You see what he did there? He took that which is physical and everybody understood it. They knew about marriage. They knew the beauty of marriage. They knew all that was going on with that. And then he says by way of application. Now, look, more importantly, when you see that happen, you see the harmony of the marriage situation. Think of it this way. I rejoice over you. I've married you in the same way, in a higher way, if you will. Maybe one that's most important to you and I is Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives, watch it, as Christ loved the church. That as word is very important there because you see what he's doing. He's doing the divine dance. Husbands, you know what it's like to love your wife. You know what it's like to have a wife. All right, now consider that and the values of that 
and compare it to Jesus in the church. And all of a sudden, you begin to understand how much Jesus loves the church. Or vice versa, as he's going to go on to say, you understand how much a man is required to love his wife or invest in his wife. Read the rest of the passage there. To understand what's truly happening in the church, as far as the relationship between Jesus and his bride, you have to appreciate what's happening in the physical relationship between a man and a woman, and vice versa. Because what God's doing is he's doing the divine dance, helping us to understand, both from a spiritual perspective and a physical perspective, he's helping us to understand the importance of marriage. And notice I didn't have to turn to a priest, a pontiff, a uh, pastor, a pope, a preacher, a sonny childs to get that. All I had to do is watch God as he makes this beautiful dance happen. In the first Timothy chapter 3, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? This is perhaps in many ways the ultimate application with, with regards to elders, for instance. He's saying, if an elder's not married, then he hasn't done the dance. And if he hadn't done the dance, he doesn't truly understand the spiritual realm. And so how could he possibly be qualified to take care of God's church? It's one of the most damning, I think, accusations against Catholicism. They, they don't just not have priests who are married. They make it a manipulative process trying to keep priests from doing what God said, from the divine dance. And you understand all the information that comes from going through the physical side, <coughs> understanding the needs of a wife, the coming about of children because of that, the formulation of a family. It's a, you understand how those are essential then to you having the qualities. Those are, that's all preparation for you to have the qualities then to guard the church, the spirit realm, the higher realm. But the Catholic Church denies their men the opportunity to have that experience it's like they're saying, no, God, I don't want to dance with you. Think of the perversion of that. But back to the positive, notice that you can study for yourself without the Pope, the priest, the preacher. The, you can study for yourself by just watching God as he does the divine dance. Go again through scripture, whatever the topic is that you're picking out, and watch how God explains himself via the physical compared to the spiritual. I'm telling you, folks, it's beautiful to see. And then number three. There is also the divine painting. After God has given us <coughs> these other divine parallels that we've talked about so far, it's then he, he, he gives it a painting. Uh, there's going to be this, um, this beautiful, what do you call it when you, you paint something? You, you bring it to life, you know, the the illustrative value of that, whatever that may be. I watch my son, he's a phenomenal artist, and I watch my son on occasion as he's sketching or he's doing something. At first, it, it doesn't look like much at all. But every once in a while, he will go so far as to not just sketch it, and by the end of the sketch, it's pretty good. But sometimes he'll add color to it. And then he's even sent it off and made a poster or two. And the color pops, it makes it come alive. It's just like, wow. You know, but it's another way for Gabriel to explain himself in art. He says what he wants you to see by the coloration, the way he sketched that character, whatever it may be. Well, God does the same thing, only a whole lot better. When he takes and then he paints, he is explaining himself. Ben, again, we're dealing with the illustration of marriage. Malachi 2, 
The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. And he's talking negatively to them because they haven't been faithful to their wives. But he's going to say this. Though she is your companion, she's supposed to be your companion. That's the first color that you're seeing there. There's this level of commitment. He goes on to call it a covenant. Verse 15. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? You see, the color here of Malachi is it's a color of unity. It's, it's a color of commitment that they're to have. And so as God, as he gives us the weaving in and out, the divine dance, and now he's coloring it. He says, another element of my explanation is I want you to see the importance it is to me. It's supposed to, your marriage is a companionship, it's a covenant, it's a, it's a oneness, it's a union. And so there's this commitment. But there's another color he gives, 1 Corinthians 7, the husband should give his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband's. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And skip on down to the last part. So that the spirit, or excuse me, so that the forgive me, please. So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so the next color that you see God putting here is that there's a dependence. It's not just a commitment. But there's now a dependence involved within marriage. You see the beauty of this is coming alive? And then 1 Peter 3 at the bottom, there's a compliment, how we compliment each other. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That's complimentary. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs, watch it, with you. Heirs with you of the grace of life. And so it's just three examples. But again, if you're studying marriage throughout Scripture, just go all the way back to the beginning and watch how God paints the picture. Now, why does he do this? Because again, this is not just about God wanting to sit up there with his watercolors making things look nice. This is about God wanting to explain himself to you and I so you don't have to trust the Pope, the preacher, the pastor, the priest. The... Don't trust them. Trust God. Good stuff, yeah? So a way of review. Here we go. Repetitive interpretation. God's approach. He repeats it. And in so doing, he explains himself. He repeats himself by the divine weaving. He repeats himself by the divine dance. He repeats himself by painting himself and his values vividly throughout the timeline. And as he does, it comes alive and it gives a very personal freedom to you to be able to study on your own without the influences of man-made doctrines. You do not need the magisterium of the Catholic Church. You don't even need church history. You do not need Calvin and Luther, the Reformation leaders. You don't even need Sonny Childs. In fact, I would encourage you, please, as quick as I'm done here, I divorce me from the process and go find out how beautiful this is. Forget what I've said as far as personal insight and just go for yourself and watch as God weaves, dances, and paints his beautiful values throughout the entire book. And by the time you get to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 21, which is the last verse, you understand that God has done something personal with you. He's worked in you. He's explained himself to you. And that, my friends, is the freedom of the restoration movement.
not the reformation movement, those black arrows pointing away from the Lord's church, restoration movement, those yellow arrows, arrows pointing back to the Lord's church, showing us that if we go back to what he has said, depend upon God, not man's opinions, watch God weave it, dance it, and paint it. At the end of the day, what happens? You got God. If you let the Bible interpret the Bible, at the end of the day, what do you got? The Bible. If you let God explain himself at the end of the day, what do you got? God's explanation. Stop trusting in the Pope, the priest, the pastor, the preacher, me. And start trusting in the Holy Spirit as you personally study what God has explained to you. Here you go. Five questions I tried to address this evening. I think we did a pretty good job of that. I hope that... Uh, you will be able to answer those and send them in in your final test. But remember, those questions matter very, very little as far as the grand scheme of thing is concerned. But one thing I really wanted for you tonight is just see how you're free. I wanted to throw off the shackles. I wanted you to see how you're free. Get in a book and study it for yourself. Let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. Watch how you and God can make these decisions based upon what He says not what some man says. I love you. Thanks for being with me tonight. Sonny Chow saying, be there. Matthew 16, 26.